Well, hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, the founder of FN Arena, Rudy Philippek van Dyke, will name seven value stocks with what he thinks has upside. This is the phase of the stock market where the cycle kind of favours value stocks. And all of this week, I've been on the hunt for value stocks. On Monday, uh, my experts on the show pinpointed some really interesting ones. And on tonight's show, Rudy and Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital, who also runs the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund, will share their favoured value stocks with you. Ultimately, it's up to you to do your homework, but I'm sure we are collecting a nice bunch of potentially good stocks to invest in over time. Now, finally, the founder of Century 21, Charles Tarby, will explain why he thinks come November, as lockdowns ease or disappear, there'll be a flood of properties coming onto the real estate markets in Sydney and Melbourne. That will really satisfy a lot of buyers who currently can't buy markets, but he also thinks that it actually will reduce the rise in the, uh, the prices of properties because the supply will be coming to meet, which is a pretty, pretty strong demand. So that's the show. Let's kick off with Rudy Villapec Van Dyke. So joining us first up is Rudy Philippek van Dyke. As I mentioned earlier, he's the founder of FN Arena. Rudy, great to see you. Oh, my, the pleasure's on my side, Peter. You, you, you will notice that since the last time we spoke, I have more hair. And, and you seem to have a little bit more hair as well. Oh, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> combing it strategically. You don't have to do that. You're blessed with uh, follicles, but um, still... Uh, we all have our, our our wins and our losses in our life, and yours is particularly is your hair and your knowledge of stocks in Australia. That's why you're here. Was, was that a loss or a win, my hair? <laughs> I think it's a win. I, I'd swap you any day of the week. Uh, all right, now let's get back to the more important place. <laughs> yes. This week, I, I actually have been pursuing value stocks. And, and mm. the reason why I do that, and you, you'd be aware of it, that they tend to do well out of crashes and recessions. And all of a sudden, people start looking for stocks that have maybe been ignored that are value going forward. And it really takes me back to the times when you and I first got together, probably around 2008, 2009, when the GFC was on. And then we rolled into the better times of 2010, 11. And there were a couple of fund managers who I won't name now, who, who became stars because they were very good at picking value stocks. I won't mention them. And then, you know, for a few years, they went off the boil. They're probably doing well again now. But I think you recall those times. Yes. Uh, and, and needless to say, I am not one of those fund managers. <laughs> You're not. You're not. Certainly you are aware of those kinds of trends. And so I yes. ask you, um, A, uh, let's talk about value stocks and B, say seven that you think might have some good upside going forward. Yes. So really, why is it that value stocks tend to do well after a crash and a recession for, for a period of time? Well, that, that's it's a very uh, simple uh, answer, Peter. And, and the, the timing uh, comes in, in play as well. Uh, value stocks, the typical, one one. This one interpretation of value is, is, is those stocks who are highly leveraged to economic growth. So in other words, they need the economy to do well, otherwise they can't. And that's the long and the short of it. 
the problem with that is, is that those are the stocks that get punished the hardest when economic growth falls off a cliff or slows down or stops growing, uh, you name it. So that's where the timing comes in. Because if you want to look forward, but you buy those stocks and, and the economy is yet to fall into, a, in, into the, to the abyss, then you're going to sit on losses first before you get the big, the big pounds. So the trick here is that, I mean, in hindsight, always easier. But the trick here is to buy them when they're on their knees and uh, when the good news arrives, and, and usually even before the good news arrives already, because the market tries to anticipate it, you can get tremendous, uh, literally tremendous returns. And this is the reason why the, your typical value investor has done well over the, since last year. Because last year, at first, we, we were all pricing in in markets that it was going to be really, really bad. Yeah. We're all going to slow down. We're going to get a virus. Uh, this, this. Nobody's going to a gym anymore or flying around or uh, et cetera. So all those stocks got, got really beaten down to, to, to pulp, basically. And when then the recovery comes, then they go 100%, 200%, sometimes 300% up. And that's obviously, those are big returns. Yeah. Now, what we've seen um, last year is from the moment that the vaccines arrived and that we knew that the vaccines would be available, we had a massive switch in the market. And that was uh, in November last year. And uh, this is, for example, where the likes of uh, Hamish at Magellan get, get criticized for because he was temporarily on the wrong side of the market pendulum there. That's because he also is not a typical value investor. So if you were a typical value investor, you probably had a tremendous uh, October, November last year, and probably leading into uh, mid-March, everything was going your way. That has now reversed over the past months. And it's because we, we are now in the doubt whether the, the V-shaped recovery, which we, which we saw from, from last year's abyss, whether that is now deflating, decelerating, losing, losing oomph, you, you name it. And, and that's probably the reason why also why we're a little bit weak in, 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 in September this year. The market is now really questioning what, what is happening. Is the US slowing down? The answer is probably yes. Is China slowing down? The answer is probably yes. Um, in Australia, we can look forward to the fact that uh, the lockdowns uh, are not timeless. They're not endless. We can look forward to, uh, to that disappearing. So we have a little bit of things to look forward to. But at this point in time, you have to be careful that some of those typical value stocks may not have further to fall because we are going a little bit through a, through a growth scare on the global scale. And, and really, I would say, because of you know the experiences I've had, you know, doing commentary of so many crashes and all that sort of stuff, it is the benefit of either having grey hair or no hair that you've been through this <laughs> before. I, I'm up here for the first time in my life. You know, when the market did crash uh, in March of last year, I bought stocks I never bought before. I bought Webjet at ridiculously low prices, mm. and I kept saying when I wrote about, you might have to wait a year and a half for these to mm. come good. Yes. Uh, but and, and they, they have progressively come good, probably faster than I expected. Mm. I bought Flight Center, and these were, I think, value stocks, but you had to wait for them to come good. But one value stock I bought in October, uh, which I would never have considered being a value stock, and I want to talk to you about this, mm. that was Commonwealth Bank when it was $60. Mm. 
And I just figured because the government had forced it to be a rescue of the economy, mm -hmm. cut their dividends, its price was kind of artificially low. And once we got the good news on the economy, bang, it, it sort of rebounded pretty quickly. Yes. So value stocks do change. They're not absolutely uh, the same kind of stocks all the time, are they? Depends what you, depends what your uh, approach is. Um, like if you define value stocks as the cyclicals, then they are always the, the same stocks. Yeah. But but I think your Commonwealth Bank observation is very important because inside the value sectors you have higher quality and lower quality stocks, and there is a difference in valuation. Mm. And picking the cheapest one is not always uh, the best choice longer term. And for example, in the banks, uh, if you take a longer term view, Commonwealth Bank pretty much kills all the others. I mean, they are the, the, the most expensive, so to speak. Um, not, not as cheap as the others, but they always perform well and better than the rest. And that's why they have a premium. But they are still strictly taken a cyclical. Yeah. So they will still fall and, and they will still rise with, with the cycle. Yeah. Um, just not in the same matter as, as, for example, a Bank of Queensland or an ANZ Bank. But it's funny, I, I've never ever thought of one of your favourite stocks, and one of mine, I've got to say, uh, arguably because you you forced me to love it, and so did Paul Rickard, and that's CSL. When CSL got, what, 245 or some low price, I thought, this has to be a yes. value stock, because one yes. day it's going to go to 330 and probably... Yeah. That, that, so this is the lesson I want to sort of teach people that sometimes there are really good quality companies mm. where the market beats up on them. And it can sometimes be because of their, the market's just getting out of one sector. Yeah. What's the term we use? It's, um, yes. uh, it's uh, not cycling. It's, no. What's the term we use when you go from one sector to another? The market is, come on, really help me here. You rebalance your portfolio. The, the momentum changes. You're, you're basically switching out of one sector and you and you it's because the grass is green and on the other side of the fence essentially and, right? like, and i always say because if you're a long-term investor when the short-term fund managers dump really good quality stocks mm -hmm. just chase something else mm -hmm. that's your competitive advantage is that you can buy a great quality stock because you can wait and they can't wait they're going to perform all the time i think it's a very valid observation peter and i think it's very important to point out to people that sometimes a stock falls, not because something is wrong with the company. Sometimes money thinks there's better returns to be had elsewhere. So it, it, it sells CSL and then to buy, for example, Fortescue. Now, that had been a very good decision. I mean, Fortescue has performed much, much better over that period. But that gives us, the non-value investors, gives us the chance to, to, to buy into CSL because we know the reason why it's falling is not because something is wrong with CSL. It's because money is flowing elsewhere and, and wants, a high, wants a higher return. But that means the fundamentals of the company will come back at some stage. Yeah. Okay. Let's go and focus now on seven value stocks that you think are really good. Okay. But <laughs> Because we have a growth scare, and because I don't, I don't want to talk people into into stocks that potentially might have another ten or fifteen percent to fall in a worst case scenario here, or more. So I, I I've picked at face value two sectors which arguably have been um, lagging the whole market to a very large extent, very noticeably, and just about anyone 
who has a little bit of um, understanding of, of valuations and stocks will say those two sectors are severely undervalued on the Australian Stock Exchange. Now, the, 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 the first one is mining services providers. Yeah. They have not performed whatsoever. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And one of the reasons is that when we close borders and, and we have into lockdown and, and we don't allow uh, immigration into Australia, it becomes difficult for some of those companies because if they get a if they get a contract in a different state, they can't get they actually can't get their staff there. And in, in some occasions, they actually can't find skilled labor or, or enough of it. Um, and then obviously there are other reasons, but those are the main reasons. And that sector has essentially not performed. So I think on a, on a risk-adjusted basis, if you really want to wanna go for cheap price stock, then maybe that's a sector to look at. And to draw parallel with, with your Commonwealth Bank uh, example in the banking sector, I think if you look at that sector, then Monodelphus would be an obvious place to look at because Monodelphus for a very long time and pretty much by everyone is being regarded as, as let's call it the CBA of the con of the contractors. Um, I mean, these guys have a little bit of headwinds now. Uh, they have given a rather subdued outlook. The share price has been clobbered. Um, but over time, they should prove again that they are the quality play in that sector. Um, if you if you really want to go for cheap, which means your your potential upside is is higher, but obviously, I mean, there's maybe also a little bit more risk involved here, then you could go for an Emico Holdings and the company called this EHL. And, and, and again, um, I mean, it, it's, it, the share price has, hasn't done much for, for, for the most of the past 18 months. It had a, it had a brief, brief rally um, in, in July, August, I believe it was. And it's actually coming down again. <laughs> I mean, whoever whoever went in there is already taking profits and is fleeing the ship again. Um, I mean, so that 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 share price is again looking very very cheaply. And I and I can I can. I mean, those are stocks that maybe you don't want to hold for the long term, like you would do with the CBA and the CSL. Mm -hmm. But um, when they are down on their knees, that's probably a, a time to look at them. And if if bond yields move a little bit higher and the market in sentiment improves a little bit, those stocks can actually quite quite really quite hard. And 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 also the the likes of PHP, Rio, Fortescue, they are still issuing contracts. And and sooner or later, one of those big contracts will fall into uh, Emico's lap, and then the share price obviously will respond. Yeah. Okay. There's two. You got five to go, really. Yes. I know. I know. The second sector I've uh, I've I've picked, and it's again, it's not one of my favourites, but it's it's undeniably cheap. It's the energy sector in Australia, and um, everyone would have noticed that energy stocks, the share prices, have not followed the the price of oil and gas this year, mm -hmm. and whatever the reason, we can only guess. Um, I think if you want to play that sector, there's two obvious candidates. One is um, if sex sells, it doesn't sell when it's oil and gas. So there is a company called uh, Senex Energy and the company called this XX, SXY. So it's very sexy, but it's only sexy when the share price is cheap, of course. Yeah. And um, I think this is a, a relatively lower risk play because they have, um, they're basically over, over the next few years, they're going to, pretty much double their, their production. 
That means even if the oil and gas prices don't play ball, the share price should all else being equal should be a lot higher. And 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 the share price has already come off their lows, but there's still there should still be a lot of potential to go. Of course, it will still go with the oil and with, with sentiment in the market. Yeah. The other one might surprise you because uh, I've never been uh, a big fan of Woodside, the, the largest we have in the market. And I would think that people maybe should have a look at Woodside, but on one, one, one very strong condition, that is that the merger with BHP oil and gas goes through. And we, we, know, we don't know that yet. So I, I, would, I would say that if people own Woodside or are willing to buy Woodside and that merger for some reason doesn't go through, just sell the stock and don't, don't, don't stay there. Because Woodside hasn't been in a good state for many, many years, and they really need they really need this deal. And this deal will probably inject a lot of momentum in the business, and that could last for, for years. Yeah. So, and it could coincide with a stronger global economy, hopefully in 2022. Could also be, could also be, yes. For the oil price as well. Yes, but but then uh, I know some analysts are, are forecasting we will have too much oil uh, next year. So commodities, I mean commodities and forecasts. It's like it's like the weatherman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's yeah. the code for the first one, Rudy? The ticket code for for Cenex uh, is S X Y. No wonder you went for that. Okay. But that's why I went for sexy. Yeah. Okay. Just like you, Rudy. Let's go. That's four. Got three to go. Yes. Okay. So I think a more um, less risky way of playing the value part of the market is going for the reopening track. Yeah. In Australia, we're looking forward to it. The balls will open. If it's not tomorrow, it's next week. If it's not next week, it's going to be next month or early next year. It will happen. It will yeah. happen. In a lot of cases, investors have already positioned themselves for it. I mean, the likes of uh, Flight Center, Webjet, they're no longer that cheap. Um, I think playing that theme there is still a relatively small cap and it's called alliance aviation mm -hmm. and the company called this aqz I and q qz yep. and um the reason why that is is uh, they're a regional airline mm -hmm. but a big part of their business apart from getting getting us to toowoomba or something is to fly in fly out for mining stuff so once they can start moving again, Good point. Alliance Aviation will have a lot of traffic all of a sudden and a lot of revenue coming their way. So I think that is an obvious way to win. Now, there are two other companies that may not necessarily be considered your typical value play. And I have to say, I, I own both of them in portfolio, but I think they are both beneficiaries of the reopening trade. Yeah. And one is Ramsey Healthcare. Yeah. Uh, the stock hasn't done that much over the past few years. It's, 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 it goes from 60 to 69, approximately. But it is, it is going up this year. And, and this company should have all else being equal. If we open up our economies, should have a few years of, of a pent-up demand of all the surgeries that, that, that weren't happening mm. in lockdown and in, in isolation, for one reason. And the other one would be, obviously, one of my long-term favorites. It's Pepco. Uh, company called BAP, 
And I think, again, sometimes the market just really treats this uh, this company not in, in the correct way, let's put it that way. And the share price has come off again. And I think that, again, opens opportunity because once we open up, uh, we will have we will have car parts and they have to move around the country, essentially. Yeah, and you're right. Um, and I think that every time you've tipped Babcor, it's when the market hasn't liked it. And mm. it's it's generally gone up. And then it kind of, kind of reports well and the market sells it. I, yes, yes. It's whenever whenever I have noticed, and it's and Babcor is one of those typical stocks, whenever sentiment leaves the market, they sell Babcor. And it's it's almost like a weather vane with uh, with general sentiment, and if that's if that's how the market wants to treat it, well, that's fine. I mean, that's uh, the market obviously doesn't really understand the stock that well. It's a relatively small cap, but it it on my observation, it it every time market sentiment sours a little bit, Pepco share price goes down. So it's it more 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 often than not, it's 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 a buying opportunity. Okay, mate. Well, thanks very much for sharing your thoughts. There's some interesting ones there. I, I knew you were going to say monodelphus because I've always thought you just love saying the word monodelphus. <laughs> but about mining, that the big miners haven't been going into opening up new mines in a big way, have they, mm. since the coronavirus. It's been good for, for uh, profits and dividends because the prices are high, but they're going to have to get back into really digging and, and carrying on. And that's going to be good for mining services, surely. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there will be always be maintenance and there will be expansion of, of production. And because the one thing about mining companies is they, they can't just sit still and, and stick with what they have because sooner or later it'll run out. So they can only interrupt their, their spending for a while and then they'll have to pick up. And And the likes of PHP and, and Rio, Fortescue, they, don't, they haven't really stopped spending. Just the difference is that they, they haven't spent everything they, they got into the, it, coming in because that was so much as well. Incredibly amounts of money that, that came their way. Mm -hmm. And they realized very well that that was a temporary thing. That wasn't something that, that was sustainable. So they just did the right thing. They, they, kept they kept spending on their operations, but they gave a lot to shareholders mm -hmm. uh, on the premise that it would be a waste of, of, of putting them in the ground. Yeah. Pretty Philip Heck Van Dyke, founder of FN Arena, the place to go. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Joining me now is Marcus Bogdan from Blackmore Capital and he actually manages the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund which specialises in looking for stocks that pay really good dividends. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Good to be here, Peter. Thank you. Let's just go have a look at, you know, the outlook for financial year 22. Given the fact a whole lot of our big companies have now reported and given outlook statements, what's the, the takeaway lesson? The takeaway is that earnings are slowing. Uh, we had very, very strong results for 2021. 
earnings growth of 26%, uh, similar uplift in dividends. Uh, and the guidance and the outlook statements uh, for 2022 were far more cautious. And that's hardly surprising given that we've got Victoria and New South Wales in extended lockdowns. So for the bulk of the first half of, of this new financial year, uh, we're going to have a significant compression in economic activity. And so that's why it's important for us in the portfolio to have that bedrock of earnings resilient type of companies. And there are some really positive exceptions. We've had Woolworths um, giving guidance for four and a half percent revenue growth for the first eight weeks of this financial year. But clearly, uh, there are a number of areas where they're, they're experiencing sl uh, slower revenue growth. They're seeing the impact of, um, of higher costs uh, and, and significant issues in supply chain. So we've just got to navigate through, through that. And we're doing that through having those really strong defensive quality companies in the portfolio. Yeah, and I guess the important point for people who don't fully understand, when we say FY22, we're saying effectively 21-22 ends on June 30. Now, the, the first half of 2022, the calendar year, it's going to be better than the first half, as you pointed out. We've had all these lockdowns and hopefully we'll be out of lockdown in the first half. But they'll be playing catch-up. Let me roll you onto the next financial year. Are you then expecting to see a bit of a pickup because the, the, the improving economy in the first half of 2022 is likely to roll into the second half as well? So are you sort of, sort of, sort of seeing a, a bit of a dip in one year, but a bit of a, a, bit of a kick up in the year after? Yeah, and that's what that absolutely. So for the first, um, so for the first six months of this financial year, just to be clear, that started on July one. So you know we expect to see a uh, deterioration in earnings for the first half. But as you rightly say, and there is, you know, there is a, a clear roadmap here of vaccination rates, the potential uh, for reopening, uh, and we would expect to see far more normal conditions uh, once we get to calendar 2022, January onwards, to see that recovery there, and then hopefully when we get to the next financial year, um, beginning in 2023, uh, we'll see a full year of normalised growth. Yeah. And, and also by then, I guess, all the problems of companies that suffered reduced dividends because of the fears and the restrictions around the coronavirus, hopefully they will have weeded out and we'll have more normal dividend type situations, yep. which can be good for your fund. Yeah, absolutely. But it all, Peter, it's also important to emphasise uh, in the last reporting season with the uplift in dividends paid by BHP uh, and particularly CBA for the for the for the um, for the dividend growth, we had over thirty percent already driven by the miners and the banks. And what we expect to see there is that those types of dividends will stabilise, but, but they'll still be at higher rates. But then we'll also see the catch-up in the other parts of the portfolio as well. Okay, interestingly, you're saying that, you, that our portfolio is 
currently overweight healthcare. Uh, and healthcare, I think, is going to head up. But if you look at what the analysts are predicting, they're pretty well at their predicted prices. Now, also, healthcare aren't great dividend payers in this country either. So you must believe that healthcare will probably um, do better growth-wise, which will help your fund. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of parts to it. Um, there are some good dividend-paying healthcare stocks, such as Medibank Private, uh, which we've got in the portfolio, which has done particularly well through COVID as people are, are, are leaning more into private health insurance. So that pays a dividend yield of around 4, 4% fully franked. So that's a, that's a good dividend payer for, for investors. The other companies such as Helios, Ramsey and CSL, we expect them to actually deliver stronger earnings per share growth through the cycle. And that will translate into a higher growth rate for, for the dividends as well. And plus, we do think that the medium to long-term prospects for healthcare remains really, really strong. Yeah. Now, one of my favourite stocks is um, Macquarie. I bought it in 2008 at $26, mm -hmm. being heroically gutsy when the BFC yep. was pretty bad. I then worried when it went to $18, but thankfully Wayne Swan rescued the banks and Macquarie yes. uh, has recovered. Love yep. Wayne Swan only because of that. And, yep. uh, and Macquarie has rebounded, reported brilliantly uh, this week. Yep. Uh, a, do you hold it in the portfolio? And B, do you expect it to go higher? Yes, we do. We've been a long-term holder of Macquarie. And, and to your point, I mean, if you could have bought it in the heart of the GFC, uh, where those returns were really compressed. And what you've seen there from the GFC to today, you've seen the, the return on equity for that business go from uh, mid-single digits to around 15% today uh, and also and importantly Macquarie have been uh, great pivoters into areas of future growth so in those early earlier periods you saw um, um, you saw them doing incredibly well in infrastructure and being a global leader in that today they are pivoting to green infrastructure and they'll be a global leader in that area. And so the, the long-term prospects for Macquarie are still incredibly sound. It's a, um, it's a core portfolio holding in the, in the, in the, in the portfolio. Uh, and you did see uh, yesterday delivering results which were well ahead of uh, market expectations. One last one, mate. I mean, I've been following the theme this week that value stocks over the next few years will probably do well. If you look at the history of stock markets after a crash and a recession, often yeah. value stocks outperform growth stocks for a, a number yeah. of years. Yeah. If I had to ask you, what's the, the one value stock either you've got in the portfolio or even outside the portfolio that you really like, what would yeah. it be? Yep. Well, there's there's actually two parts of that, and there is one healthcare company which we would classify as value, and that's been Helios, uh, second largest pathology company in Australia, um, on a price to book uh, 
uh, ratio, it looks particularly attractive. It's done very well um, in COVID because they're doing the COVID testing uh, for, for pathology. But we do think that their base businesses in both pathology and diagnostics will recover. And we believe that the discount that that company is trading at, particularly relative to, uh, to other healthcare companies, there's a big discount there. And we think that that will close over time. The second area in value that we like, which is very much out of favour, is in the energy space. And we have two names in the portfolio there, both in Ampol and Santos. And if and as economic um, activity normalises, we expect that those two companies will recover quite nicely. Marcus Bogdan, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Well, for a regular catch-up uh, with what's going on in the property market with the founder of Century 21, Charles Talby. Charles, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Well, Charles, you know, you know, because you can remind me how many outlets you have in Australia and New Zealand. You uh, know, it, it's it's actually a growing business, Peter. We've uh, we've been adding uh, and renewing an office, which is more important than adding an office. Uh, every week since the start of the year. And, uh, and I'd like to think that at some point in time in, in Australia and New Zealand, we, we, we get close to 300 branches uh, in the coming, well, I say next year. We're looking forward to getting closer to the 300 than where we've been for a long time. It's been an interesting marketplace, really. And that, that's C21, Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate. We've opened 14 offices there now, and that started just before the first lockdown. So we haven't had a great run. But, but uh, those people that have, that have been uh, encapsulated understood the concept of that brand doing very well with it. Okay, so what I'd like to, to get from you is what is the, the, the issue that you think is um, simmering in the market right now? And last time we talked, we talked about how whether should someone sell now or wait for spring. Uh, and you, you think there's a, a really important issue around people getting out of lockdown and the implications it might have for buyers or for sellers, Charles? Yeah, well, there is, there is a concern with buyers that, that, that when they come out of lockdown, that uh, it's going to be highly competitive because there's going to be that massive upswing that we always notice when you've had that big downswing. Mm. And so there's a lot of buyer concern that, that they're going to come out and pay more for a property than what they would have been paying for it before they went in. And there's a lot of talk out there about whatever auctions that are being put uh, actually to auction on the day, uh, are the percentage is incredibly high. And that's being reported incorrectly too. So there's a, that's building up a lot of fury uh, and a lot of frustration for buyers because they think, oh my God, the clearance rates were 92% in Sydney, which were, uh, and, and, you know, and 90% and in Canberra, all this sort of stuff, which was reported last week. And it's, it's correct, but it's not correct based on the way we have been um, calculating clearance rates for the last 10 years. So uh, there's, there are newer organisations putting figures out and the newspapers uh, and the media are picking up the higher numbers. So that's causing a bit of concern for people. Um, but what we're noticing most is the reluctance of people to want to sell. So um, going back to Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, 64% of all properties were withdrawn uh, from auction before the day. So, we're just saying to it to our people, uh, our, our uh, buyers,
highest sellers and, and our, our principals out there, salespeople, don't be too concerned about that. There, there, there will be a, a jump, but the one good thing about it will be that there'll be an abundance of stock come on the market that we haven't seen for a long time. So I think what will happen is the buyers shouldn't be too concerned. Uh, they shouldn't just jump in and, and be making crazy offers. Uh, there's going to be plenty of stock come on the market after we're out of lockdown. And that's going to give buyers and sellers the chance, I believe, to negotiate a little bit better than they have been because in the past it's just been a completely total seller's market. But I think it's moving closer and closer to a balanced market of negotiating between buyers and sellers. Yeah, because last time we spoke, you, you made the point that for lots of people, selling now might be a, a really good thing because yeah. there's not much supply and there's still a fair bit of buyers, whether they're, whether they're as interested or committed right now that, as they might be, you know, closer to Christmas when there's November, December. The bottom line is they're still watching, aren't they? And so, oh, absolutely. I, I got caught up in it just in the last weekend looking at a property and, and I put in an offer and before I knew it, I got a text back saying, oh, they've come up. Uh, and I said, oh, well, I'll go to there. Next text, oh, they'll come up. I'll go to text. Another text, another text. I went for about 10 different. It was like an auction. It was like a, an SMS auction mm. because of the limited amount of stock. Uh, and the same buyer energy is still there, Peter. The buyers haven't disappeared. The same energy is still there, but the sellers have disappeared. And so there has to be that, that clash at, at some point right now. But when those sellers reappear, which is what I think will happen uh, when lockdown is a bit more official, then you won't have that same energy bursts of buyers having to push other buyers up. I'm interested, it's the first time I've heard you use this word on this program anyway, you said the market will go from a seller's market to a balanced market. You didn't say it becomes a buyer's market. Why did you actually pull the word balanced out? Because I, because I think that the abundance of buyers will, will be met by an abundance of sellers. And, and I, I think that at that point, because you, you imagine yourself, Peter, if you're thinking about selling your property and it's in an area where you want people from outside of your local government area to, to see it and to come along, but they can't or they're struggling to, you're not going to put your home on the market. You're not going to feel like you've got the best possible price. But if you put your home on the market in a marketplace where there is a, a still a lot of activity, as I mentioned, where I live here in the Blue Mountains, the majority of the buyers are from the Blue Mountains. So there's still that activity, but the majority of sellers have still thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have my home on the market yet. Uh, so I think when, when the, they all come together, it'll be far more balanced in terms of buyer and seller negotiating rather than just it going one way, which is what it's been doing for quite some time. This is purely a question based on your best guess, because I, I know you, you would tell me I'm not an economist, but you are someone who's watched real estate markets for a long time. Yeah. Um, 2022, do you think prices will still be on, on a, an ascendancy, albeit maybe at a slower pace? Oh, I think it'll be at a very slow pace. And I think because what we're starting to notice is, is there's that, that, that affordability issue starting to kick in now. And um, I, I mentioned it a few months back that I thought that the banks might start to put some brakes on, the APRA might start to, well, banks will progressively increase their interest rates without um, uh, any, any notification of what the RBA are doing. Uh, the RBA is looking real closely. They're up and down in their story. Value is sustained to get gun shy. 
Uh, again, the banks are looking at people and thinking, well, you know, if I, if you want to borrow this much money at 3%, I'm going to approve you at 5%. And if you can't afford it at 5%, I'm not going to give you the loan. And, and then you've got the fact the rising prices are, are being quite considerable. And so put that all together, at what point in time, when wage growth hasn't been there, at what point in time is a buyer going to have to stop and say, I just can't go any further. I just can't go any further. And I think in the majority of the markets, not in certain areas where people's wealth is very different, um, but in the majority of the markets across our capital cities, they're buyers and sellers who are buying their first home or maybe their second home, and they reach a point where they just can't afford it anymore. And I think that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to balance the prices out. All right, Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter.